Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. You know that moment when you trip or lose your balance and you're flying forward somewhere between upright and on the ground and you realize what's happening to you. There's a couple of seconds that you're you know you're not going to be able to to stay up and you are going to go down and you just you, you can't stop it. And you do this split second mental calculation. Basically, how do I fall without seriously injuring myself? Throw your hands out, maybe you break your wrists. Twist and you might throw out your back. Me personally, I like to take that second to glance up at the looks of horror on the faces of the passersby. I go for maximum mortification. Karen Quayley found herself in this moment after work one day. She'd gone out for a run around her office, but she wasn't really familiar with the route. She lost her balance, realized she was at this point of no vertical return, and she starts thinking. And I just treated a person that had two broken wrists, and I was like, and she had fallen. Karen is an assistant administrator at a medical group, and she's also a physical therapist. And so I realized, okay, I can't stop this, but I'm not going to break my wrists. So I flattened my arms down, and I landed on flat arms, but I still had so much momentum, I banged my head on the on the concrete, and I got this huge black eye. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so that was in the evening. She goes home, goes to bed, and in the morning, she gets into her car, reverses down the driveway, and turns onto the nearest street. And... I didn't have my seatbelt on, and I saw a police car behind me, so I quickly put the seatbelt on. He pulls me over anyway. He says, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, yeah, I don't have my seatbelt on. I said, I should have put it on in the driveway. He goes, why do you have a black eye? I said, because I, I fell running. He goes, yeah, right. <laughs> you fell running. So I showed him my elbow, which was cut, and my knee, which was cut. And I said, I have ice on this knee. He goes, oh, Okay. (laughs) Of all times to get stopped for a traffic thing. Karen is 65 years old. She's tallish with wavy white and straw-colored hair. In her many, many years of running, her body has taken a beating. And that cop isn't the only one to give her a strange look in the aftermath. On another occasion... Karen was walking through a movie theater parking lot to her car when a woman hurrying to make her movie didn't see Karen. Karen tried to back away, but the car slammed into her hip. And I fell back against cars, and I was like, oh, my God, I hope my leg isn't broken. And I'm trying to weight bear on it and stand. And then I feel and there's this big, huge ball, like like the size of a grapefruit. 
Karen went to the emergency room, and the doctor said... Just lay off it for a few days. <laughs> and I said, well, this is Friday night. I'm supposed to run a half marathon on Sunday. And he said, no, I don't think you should. I said, well, we'll see. <laughs> so I ran the half marathon on Sunday, and I ran the next day, and I had this great big grapefruit-sized hematoma. And I ran, and as I ran, it went down, and it healed, and it got better. She ran through the embarrassment of a black eye, through the painful lump on her hip. She's also run through pneumonia, international flight delays, lightning storms, and surgeries. What exactly would it take to stop Karen Qualey from running? If I'm capable of walking and running, and the sun comes up or it's another day, I'm going to run unless for some reason I'm sedated and restrained. And she is truly not kidding about that. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. On each episode of Human Race, we share stories about runners and the world of running. This episode, Karen Qualey and a 20-year run streak. That's 20 years of running every single day. It's an extraordinary amount of time. But a story about a run streak is never really about the streak itself. It's about everything you have to go through to keep that streak alive. And frankly, there is no way Karen should have been able to continue her streak to this day. Her determination is truly unparalleled. Karen's story also marks the close of Runner's World's Memorial Day to 4th of July Run Streak Challenge. If you've made it this far, congratulations. But perhaps, and this is a little nudge for me here, Perhaps her story will inspire you to keep on going for just a little while longer. Or, you know, to start a new streak. Now, back to Karen. Karen has a Runner's World daily calendar displayed in her living room. Each day has a different running-related inspirational quote or training tip. And when the advice is good, she'll rip off the page and keep it in a little pile under the calendar. If ever there's a suggestion for a rest day, she'll throw the page in the trash. Karen also keeps her race medals on display. And you can see them as you walk in the door. I bought this Running America hanger for my medals. And obviously it was not, um, that didn't have enough capacity for all the medals that I had. And so I, um, I found this, is, it's actually a coat rack. And it only actually has three four or four real knobs. And a friend of mine taught me and helped me buy a screw gun so that I could make this. She's added lots of her own knobs. And she clearly needs all of them. This is a very, very big one, Missoula. And I kind of hide this one in the back because it's almost embarrassing how big it is. That's Arkansas, Little Rock Marathon. It's <laughs> They're really proud of that marathon. <laughs> it's so big. It's like so big. three or four times the size of all the other medals. I got stopped in the airport. They thought I had a gun. I had to go, they had to go through my luggage because there was so much metal in, on it. And in her living room, there's this poster-sized version of a 1995 postage stamp. It's marathon-themed. In fact, in every corner of her home, there's another running-related memento. She collects those 
you know, those white or yellow disc-like reflective road markers? Well, she finds the ones that are unmoored, and she brings them home. She's got several photo albums. The one on the bookshelf has black writing on the spine. It says, 100th Marathon. And I'll just let that sink in for a minute. Karen has spent most of her adult life, not just running, but racing too. How does someone get from a normal human to having photo albums commemorating your 100th marathon? For that, we should go back to the beginning, to Karen's rather average start in the sport. In 1976, Karen had graduated from college. She got a job as a physical therapist, and over that time, she'd gained weight. She lived in a little town just north of New York City with a track right across the street. So she decided to try out running. I didn't run on the street. I didn't want him to see me running. Yeah, I thought I looked weird. But you know how it goes. You start running for fitness, and then you sign up for a race. Karen signed up for a 10K. And it was, uh, it was you know, one of those really popular 10Ks, and there were helicopters and balloons and people, and it, it was just so... I was so caught up in the excitement of it. I loved it. I loved it. She was hooked. She started running to and from work. Another runner she'd gotten to know suggested she try a marathon. And uh, he said, you run to work every day and you could run a marathon. I said, a marathon? A marathon, which she completed in 1984 in just over four hours. By 1986, she'd moved across the country from New York to California. And after she arrived and someone spotted her on the race circuit, she was recruited to run with a fast women's team based in San Francisco called the Impalas. And her boyfriend at the time, he said, You run, do your practice runs with the Impalas, but I bet you couldn't run every single day for a year. Challenge accepted. I did the whole year and I said, I 86 to 86, I did it. I ran it the whole year. The running streak stopped there. But what she'd done was turn on something inside of herself, kind of like a pilot light. The part of her that knew that running every day was not only possible, but sustainable. And Karen kept running and she kept racing. She met her husband at a race. We were running in a marathon when I met him. (laughs) Appropriate. Uh, Yeah, yeah. He had a serious back injury, which made it hard for him to stand or sit. But when he was moving, he felt okay, which is why he could run. They got married, and in August of 91, they had a child, a daughter. I said, okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to run every day for a year. And I got through 92, 93, and 94. And the end of 94, I was seeing a fertility doctor by then because I wanted to have a baby, some 42, right? And, and he said, look, you're not going to get pregnant if you run every day. You have to cut back. At 43 years old, Karen had twin girls. But after their birth... I, I got really sick. I, I had any infection you can imagine. I, my, I had bronchitis. I had mastitis. I had endometriitis. I, I was hospitalized three times after they were born. And I, so I didn't run for months. I used to dream about running. <laughs> I didn't run for months. And then gradually she started going back out. But her running, her running was different. I think I fell once a week. And I finally talked to somebody. I think it was... My yoga instructor, I was going to yoga, and she said, you, your body doesn't know where its center of gravity is because you were so big, and your body has to find its center of gravity because I was losing my balance and falling. There's this kind of silly baby shower game that people play. 
guests are asked to guess how big around someone is by cutting a piece of string. So think about twins, like Karen was pretty big. The goal is to get the string as close as possible to the circumference of the woman's belly. And so I kept the string and I measured the string of how big I was. Well, I'm five foot seven and the string was five foot four. So I was as big around as I was tall oh, with those my babies. Goodness. That is crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. And so that's why I was falling after the. <laughs> I would say so. Moreover, her husband's back injury rendered him disabled. He couldn't work, but he also wasn't able to take care of the three girls. Karen worked full time and hired someone to help with the kids. During this time, she sometimes felt like she was parenting alone. I thought, the events control me. I don't control the events. But then she thought back to that pilot light, the one year she ran, and then the three-year streak that followed. Even though her life had changed substantially, she had a blueprint for one act that she could control. So on New Year's Eve, she decided, If there's one thing I can do, is I can run every day. Even if it's just for half an hour, I can run. I can do that for myself. I'll run every day. She started the streak on January 1st, 1997. At the time, fitting it into her chaotic family life, it felt like an incredible feat. During the week, Karen was able to fit in a run by going on her lunch hour. On weekends, she'd load the twins into the double jogging stroller. And the, and the older sister on her bike. <laughs> and so I'd be pushing the jogger and I'd have the, the daughter on the bike and people used to say, and it was a very consistent phrase that people used. They would say, you have your hands full. <laughs> One time the jogger was falling over backwards because it was so heavy with stuff, the, the twins' weight didn't counterbalance it. <laughs> she decided she'd run three miles or 45 minutes, whatever came first. The plan was to complete one year with the option of renewing her commitment the next. She knew that maintaining the streak would be a challenge. And it was. Her life was a challenge at that point. But it was sort of the day-to-day grind that exhausts you gradually. What happened next was sudden and unexpected. That's after the break. And we're back. Karen is flipping through a running-related photo album titled Karen's Running. It contains a long history. There's a photo from her first marathon in Yonkers, where she grew up. The second marathon I ran in Vermont. This is Bermuda. And you can see how very much younger I am there. And it's chronological. That's the same friend that was running with me in, in Yonkers. That's Philadelphia. There's a photo of her pregnant with the twins. One of my favorite stories is when I had my hair purple, and that's my purple hair. She asked her hairdresser to do something exciting for her first trip to California, and he dyed it. Karen calls the color aubergine, almost deep wine, not the loud lavender you see today. Through these years, she's had different hairstyles, different hair colors. She's gained weight. She lost it. Karen found ways to keep running a daily part of her life and and still manage her family and her job. She pushed her twin daughters in the double jogging stroller until their seventh birthday. And actually, they finally rebelled. They were old enough to explain to their mom that they found the outings 
frankly, embarrassing. That was the Chicago one where they had me in the wrong age group. I don't look happy there. <laughs> it's like as you flip through, you see your whole life, right? I do. I really do. That's why I put in the picture of the twins and some of the other pictures yeah. of things that have happened. So a lot of wonderful memories. Yeah. Oh, this is after, this oh, was yeah. in uh, uh, Twin Cities, Twin Cities, and that was um, 60 days after I finished chemo. Wow. And that was when I decided I was going to do the States. Yep. Amazing. And so in that picture, you don't have any hair. No hair. Wow. In 2005, Karen was eight years into her streak, and she was in the shower performing a breast self-exam. And there was one area that just didn't feel right. It was soft where it was usually firm. She went to the doctor and got a mammogram. When the doctor showed it to me, he said, you see all the this little specks? They look like salt and pepper. He said they could be cal- calcium deposits or they could be metastatic breast cancer. And they were metastatic breast cancer. And, of course, I was f- terrified because I had three young children. Her twins were eight. Her older daughter was 13. And, you know, I, I was like, who's going to? Who's going to help them with their prom? And who's going to, you know, I have to live until they at least get through high school. The doctor suggested she have a lumpectomy. His hope was that they could remove just the cancerous part from her breast before it had a chance to spread. Karen worried about what her diagnosis meant for herself and her daughters and their future. These big, amorphous questions are awful for their open-endedness. There are just a million little if-then scenarios to work out in order to keep her daughters happy and cared for should something happen. But in that moment at the doctor's office, Karen wanted an answer to something concrete, something she could plan around. I said, "Um, can I run the next day? And he he was writing in the chart and he turned around and he said, can you what? I said, can I run the next day after I have the lumpectomy? He goes, you're serious, huh? I said, yeah, I've run every day for eight years. I I don't want to stop now. And he said, well. The doctor gave Karen instructions. During her surgery, she'd have a drain put in. Basically, your body sends fluid to the site of a wound. And the drain with a bulb at the end, it gives the fluid somewhere to go so it doesn't cause swelling. He told her, You're going to have a drain, so I want you to tuck the drain into your shorts, hold your elbows close to your body, and don't go too fast or too far. I said, okay. And I did it. She ran the morning before the procedure, had the lumpectomy, which didn't require an overnight stay in the hospital. And then the next afternoon, she went out for her run, drain tucked into her shorts. She kept her streak alive. The doctor had told her that after the procedure, she likely wouldn't need chemotherapy. Radiation would do it. However, when the test came back from the tissue removed from her breast, there was still more cancer, both around the area excised and in her lymph nodes, which meant Karen needed a mastectomy, the removal of her cancerous breast and chemotherapy. When she met with the doctor about the next surgery, he said, he, go, he said, you're going to run again? I said, yes, I'm going to run again. Karen remembers being so pumped full of anesthesia that running the day after the surgery wasn't intolerable. The horizontal incision where they took out her cancerous breast, it was numb. 
But when the anesthetic wore off, she felt a dull ache where she was cut open and sutured up. While she was running, she thought back to all of those times that she'd had an injury. She thought back to all the nasty falls she'd had. The weeks where she'd lose her balance repeatedly after the twins were born, and she'd have to hose off her bloody knees before coming back inside the house. Karen tried to focus on how those injuries healed. As she thought about the incision, she held on to the fact that this surgery would heal too. But then there's the question of why. Even if Karen could physically run after the surgery, run through the pain, why would she put herself through it? Keeping the streak alive, at least from my perspective, it doesn't sound like a compelling enough reason. So how did you, how did, I mean, what is the practicality of running when you go through something like that? It's not the practicality for me. It's the the sense of self control, and and um, this thing isn't going to control me. I'm going to control me. I can run. I can do what I want to in spite of it. To Karen, feeling that she was in control by running every day was more important than that day's pain. It was proof that her life wasn't being snatched from her by this terrible disease without her having some say in it. After the surgeries, Karen had to go through chemotherapy. So that's a drug treatment used to destroy cancer cells, and it's, you know, notoriously awful. If Karen put her surgeries in the same category as a bad fall, something that she'd experienced before, something that would heal, chemo's deleterious effects on her body had no parallel. I had complications where they were doing the in- injection of the infusion. All these veins swelled up, and then I had to have a port put in. I had to have surgery and have this port done. And then then I felt like I, there was a period of time where I just couldn't eat. I felt like the food was right here, and I thought I was going to choke on my food. And they were telling me I was constipated. And I said, I'm not constipated. You got the wrong end. It's, I was sitting up to sleep because I was afraid I would choke Karen found out that the muscles that pushed her food down, starting at the esophagus, had almost slowed to a halt. So they told me to only eat like food every 20 minutes to half hour by the tablespoon. I was eating tablespoons of lentil soup and tablespoons of cottage cheese. This went on for about a month. And that's on top of all the other standard side effects that come with chemo. Karen lost her hair, and not just the hair on her head, all of it. She was super sensitive to the sun and tired all the time. All these things make it harder to continue running. But still, she ran. She'd go out for a run before her infusion, then she'd have the infusion, come home, sleep until the next day, and then run again. And to be clear, she wasn't just running through exhaustion. The effects of chemo are nastier and more wide-ranging than that. The skin on my feet was cracked, and and I was wearing like shoes with the with the front of the foot cut out. I was wearing my running shoes, but the but from above the laces to the top of the shoe, I'd have it all cut out because my feet were painful. Sometimes she ditched the running shoes altogether and ran in Tiva sandals because they were more comfortable. Yeah, it was quite a sight. <laughs> did you um, 
Was there any point in that time where you thought like, all right, this is this is a kind of closing chapter of my running? Did it ever like get into your mind that you thought that maybe this would stop you? Mm-mm. No, no. Um, I looked forward to the day when it was over, and that I could that I could run more freely. During this period, Karen spent a lot of time working on how she viewed what she was going through. So the cancer, the treatment, the effects of both on her body. She got a coach, a sort of cancer coach. And the coach gave her some exercises that helped Karen think about what she was going through in kind of a counterintuitive way. She taught me this. I would take the chemo bag before they started the, the in, in uh, to put it in me, um, I would take the chemo and I say, "I'm not. I'm not fearing you, and I, I'm not uh, rejecting you. I'm welcoming you into my body to help me heal, and I'll partner with you." I felt that the partnering with the running and the coaching and and working with the chemo to help me that it all played into helping me heal. Karen's running was proof to herself that she wasn't retreating that she was going to get through cancer as best she could, to be around for her girls and to continue the streak. She finished chemotherapy in August 2005. In October, and that's just two months later, she ran the Twin Cities Marathon. And that's where you saw me in the pictures bald. Um, And at that run, a woman was in front of me and she was running and she had on a t-shirt that said, I've run a marathon in each of the 50 states. And I, 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 I got up next to her and I said, I really like that shirt and I really like the idea of doing that. And she said, well, I'm the pre- vice president. My husband is the president of the 50 States Club. And she gave me the card. Run a marathon in 50 states. For Karen, this was not just another goal. She was looking towards the future, making plans like she was going to live to fulfill them. With her cancer in remission, Karen also considered what she wanted from her life with her daughters and her husband, who she'd also been caring for, even through her own treatment. And she makes plans, bigger ones. That's after the break. And we're back. In 2005, Karen completed the Twin Cities Marathon just 60 days after she finished chemotherapy. Karen has a marathon running partner, and together they decided to complete a marathon in every state. Karen had already run a lot of marathons by this point, but they were mostly on the coasts, New York and California, both places she'd lived. So when she decided to complete marathons in every state, she only had a nine-state head start. As she moved towards 41 more marathons, she also saw another milestone grow nearer. The 50 states would push her over the 100 lifetime marathon mark. She was 53 when she made the goal to complete the 50 states, and she wanted to reach 100 marathon total by the time she turned 60. And I'm, I'm breezing by these things, but 50 states after chemo, 100 lifetime marathons, years and years of a daily running streak. These goals are outstanding for any active human, not to mention one juggling three young daughters, a full-time job, and a serious illness. 
At the same time as she was reaching for these really amazingly impressive running goals and recovering from cancer, Karen was having other problems at home. At first, the way her home life changed was gradual. One thing happened that wasn't ideal, and then after a while, that thing became the new normal. And then something else happened, and then something else, and then Karen looked around and wondered how she'd gotten there, how things at home had gotten so bad. According to Karen, her husband had become addicted to painkillers. So while she was raising her daughters and while she was going through surgeries and chemotherapy, she was also caring for her husband, too. During this time, Karen was in survival mode, and that is quite literally in survival mode. And after her treatment, her husband's behavior became so extreme that she found it impossible to handle. Furthermore, she worried about her daughters. Even as Karen was moving on in other areas of her life and beginning to make plans to run more, to do more, she stayed with her husband. But her perspective on her situation because of cancer, it started to change. Not knowing how long I was going to live, I, I came to the realization that I could no longer stay with my ex-husband because I was very unhappy. And um, I just, in 2008, circumstances got to the point where we couldn't stay. And he had to be hospitalized. And after he came to, after 30 days in the hospital, he said, how dare you put me in the hospital? I want you out of my life. And I was like, I was upset and devastated. And like, I, and my girlfriend said to me, stop. He just gave you your life on a silver platter. Take it and run. Over a period of devastating and unstable months, Karen bought a house, arranged for others to take over her husband's care, and left with the girls. I was here at the house, and I had gotten all my stuff out of his house, and I told the the therapist that I was putting clothes into this dresser downstairs, I said, and I felt this inexplicable sense of joy. Just, I just, I was just filled with joy. And she said, that's freedom. A year before, in 2007, Karen had gone through another mastectomy, a preventative measure. And as a part of a clinical trial, she'd also removed her ovaries. Of course, she ran through it all. I was I was delighted because now I can't get um, ovarian cancer, so I I knew it was kind of put all the bad parts or potentially bad parts were gone. I'm free to move forward. I'm free of this difficult life of unhappiness and 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 so it's been an incredible freedom of the past few years and having anything I want around my house and this beautiful house full of light and air and. It's amazing that it's like you got rid of all of these kind of very concrete things in your life at the same time that were weighing you down. And the, the, the thread through it all has been running. And, and I think it, it's my friend, my solace, my joy, my guide. Because all those years, she was running every day too. Through motherhood, her twin daughters don't remember a single day in their life when their mom didn't run. Her career, Karen was actually promoted when she came back to work after cancer. Her work has always been really supportive of her running too, even outwardly proud. With all of these things going on, running was a way for her to hold on to some control 
when so much of her life, her health and her marriage, they felt like they were things that she just couldn't get a handle on. And running was with her when she finally found her freedom. Karen ran her 100th marathon in Yonkers, her hometown. It was also the location of her first marathon. That was in 2009. She made shirts for her family to wear. They were blue with Karen's 100th marathon printed on them. I finished to a sea of blue people cheering. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. She even came first in her age group. Of course, there's a photo album devoted to this accomplishment, too. And this this particular friend, he gave me $100 and said, I want you to get something you would never ordinarily get with that with this $100. And so this is what I got. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and just for the record, you're showing me a 26.2 tattoo on your thigh. Yes, and it's it's a bubble letters tattoo of 26.2 filled with a paisley design. <laughs> Do you have any other tattoos? Did that like open the floodgates? I have one other that I just got in March on my 65th birthday. Oh, wow. Oh, it's the it's the it's United map of the United States on my opposite thigh, and uh, it's a little bit farther forward than the twenty six point two because I would like to be able to see it. People say, "Was it painful?" And I say, "Only Maine and New Hampshire and Vermont." <laughs> the top part was pain more painful than the lower part, but yeah. This map, of course, is to commemorate her fifty marathons in fifty states, because she did that too. Karen, forever organized, timed it so she would simultaneously complete her 50th state and also her 150th marathon in the same race. When she crossed the finish, she cried. It wasn't just that she wasn't sure if she could complete the challenge. She wasn't sure that she'd live to. That was two years ago. It took Karen 10 years to complete the 50 states. And in that time, she she opened up her life to make even more ambitious goals. And she now had the freedom to go after them. After completing the 50 states, she realized that she had 80-odd marathons that she'd completed in California. So rounding out that number became her next goal. In March of this year, Karen ran a marathon in Modesto, knocking out her 100th marathon in the state. Karen's life is now exactly how she likes it. When I visited, it was Friday, so she was wearing her Friday running shoes. If it were Thursday, she would have been wearing her Thursday running shoes. She has a different pair of running shoes for each day of the week. Among them are Adidas and Asics, both men and women's pairs. Said I have the same course that I run every time because I don't make any decisions about where I'm going to run because my body almost knows the course by now. I run the exact same places so that my mind is free to think things through. In the mornings before work, Karen snuggles her cats, Sweetie and Pie Face. She checks her email, puts on the shoes that match the day, and does a zigzag route through her neighborhood. It's usually about five miles. And it's a zigzag because she doesn't want to stray too far from her house just in case she gets a call from work or the traffic to San Francisco becomes significantly worse than average. She collects coins and keys she finds along the way. Yeah, She tapes them into her logbook. This is the current book, and yesterday I found a key, not a coin. So I thought that was significant. It was way out in the middle of the street. It wasn't like somebody lost it next to their car. So I picked it up, and I thought, this is the key to... Success, and I'm just going to put it in here. (laughs) (laughs) Through all the hardship, it's a pretty incredible life she's made for herself. 
Well, my advice to other people is just start. Just start. Um, I never imagined that I would get to 20 years. I, and, and I didn't even set that as a goal. It, it, it's like a, I renew the goal every year. Am I going to be able to do this again? Yeah, I think I can do it again. But um, it, it, you can do great things a teeny little bit at a time. I wanted to run with Karen while I was visiting her. Most days, Karen runs five miles. And the day I met her, Karen went out for four miles on her own and then saved the last mile for me. Um, I'll lock the door. I don't think I need gloves anymore. She takes me out for an abbreviated zigzag. Karen runs on asphalt to ease the strain on an arthritic knee. Can you tell me kind of where you are now when you're running? I guess what it feels like to be out. Gratitude. Mainly gratitude. I'm really thankful that I can still do it and patience. I'd love to run faster, but I know I'd hurt myself if I did. So it's patience and gratitude at this stage. One thing she's grateful for, one of Karen's twins has recently picked up running. And she tells her friends she cannot remember a day in her life that her mom didn't run. That's such an inspiration. That's such an amazing thing to be able to tell your friends and to think about that, like, running is so normal. It's been part of their lives forever. Yeah. She's 21, and I started this streak when she was 10 months old. (laughs) Unbelievable. How does that make you feel to see her taking Uh, off like that? So proud of her. She ran with me on my birthday just because she wanted to run with me on my birthday. And I said, oh, Colleen, I'm slowing you down. She goes... Nothing would be too slow to keep me from running with you today. (laughs) So, yeah. So what's your next goal? My next goal is keeping running uh, every year the number of miles that the year is. Last year I ran more than 2016 miles. I'm on target to do 2017 this year. And either a marathon or half marathon every month. Because, of course, this is Karen we're talking about. And you know she'll hold herself to it. Karen is 96th on the list of run streakers maintaining at least a minimum of a mile every day. And that's the organization's definition of a minimum, not Karen's. On July 4th of this year, she will have run 7,490 days in a row, over 20 years. In the streaking... uh club you go by five-year increments yeah and I just passed the 20 year yeah I forget if they call it highly skilled or highly experienced or something like that a 20-year streak in the association is labeled highly skilled and it's funny of everything Karen has accomplished running wise the 50 states the 163 lifetime marathons the thing she's most proud of is the streak running every single day through it all. For that, of course, she has a goal too. She wants to make it to the next bracket in the Run Streak Association. And then 25 years is the dominator. I'm only four months into my first of the five years to get to 25, and I can't imagine not getting there.
Human Race is produced by me, Rachel Swaby, and I got feedback on this episode from Christine Fennessy and Brian Dalek. Theme music by Danny Koch. Human Race is a proud part of Panoply. <laughs>